is AEW successful? Why is Tony Khan running his promotion better than Vince McMahon and Bruce Pritchard are running Monday night and Friday night? Long-term booking. Thank you so very much for joining me right here on Off The Scripts. This is your Monday Night Raw post show for June 6th, 2022. I am your host, JD from New York. As always, coming to you live from the OTS venue. Thank you guys so very much for joining me on your Monday nights, wherever you may be. I don't even know where to begin, man. Uh, you know, I've seen a lot of people on social media invested in this Monday Night Raw. Uh, I couldn't give a single shit about anything that happened on this show. But in, in typical form and fashion on Monday Night, we're going to dissect this thing the way that we usually do every single week. Obviously, the talk of the town is Cody Rhodes. Cody Rhodes and the torn pec muscle inside Hell in a Cell with Seth Rollins. And obviously, we'll go over what he stated tonight and the little tease that Cody Rhodes gave everybody this evening for Money in the Bank, which I didn't really understand why that needed to be thrown into the promo, but it's Cody Rhodes at the end of the day, and he wants to have all the kids and all the casuals in the audience have a a glimmer of hope that he's going to come back for Money in the Bank. Or maybe, or maybe... It's all just a a huge, big, elaborate work to combat AEW. I don't know. I doubt it is, but Cody Rhodes will talk about him uh, when we begin the actual review because he did start the show off tonight on Monday Night Raw. The big thing that everybody's talking about is Edge and Judgment Day. WWE put out a graphic Earlier in the evening, they didn't get anything announced for Monday Night Raw up until about a little bit after 7.30. Typical Bruce Prichard, typical Vince McMahon, typical WWE. Uh, Coming out of a pay-per-view, they got no fucking plans for the show. Of course they don't. Edge and Judgment Day, we're going to announce a new member into the group. And obviously the rumor mill has been running wild about who that may be. Dominic Dijakovic. Finn Balor himself, Tommaso Ciampa, Ali, could be anybody. Could be anybody. So WWE hypes this up. We get a little countdown clock because obviously they're combating playoff games uh, elsewhere on TV tonight. So they think you're going to come back because there's a little time clock with uh, Edge and Judgment Day's impending announcement of their new member reveal for Judgment Day. Don't know how much that works. I don't see any change in the ratings whatsoever on a week-to-week basis for this fucking disaster of a show. But at the end of all this, 
after a huge victory last night over AJ Styles, Finn Balor, and Liv Morgan at Hell in a Cell, it took WWE legitimately less than 24 hours to kill the group dead. And Judgment Day is no more. Now, Edge was kicked out of Judgment Day. This is the big story coming out of Monday Night Raw outside of all the Cody Rhodes hoopla on Sunday night going on into Monday. Edge was kicked out of Judgment Day. He was razor's edged through the table, through the announce table by Damian Priest. And then he was given a concerto by Damian Priest as Finn Balor was, I believe, Finn Balor was ultimately revealed as the new leader of Judgment Day. So it's Damian Priest, Finn Balor, and Rhea Ripley. A lot of people are asking me, JD, I need you to explain this to me on social media. My, my, my Twitter feed was nothing but fucking toxicity today, man. The only thing I could really surmise from this decision about Edge being kicked out of Judgment Day is two things, guys. Number one, yes, he did cut his hair and all to sell the gimmick and sell the entire, you know, dark leader, cult leader, kind of give it off this evil priest type vibe, Edge. Yes, I know he did cut his hair and he made himself aesthetically better looking to fit the role. But the only two things I could really come up with, and it's definitely one or the other, it may be both, is that Judgment Day was failing. Judgment Day was failing. I don't think anybody outside of super fans of Edge, like me, and some of you guys here in the chat, I I don't really think Judgment Day was really amounting to anything on Monday night. And you could see where WWE puts all their eggs. They put all their eggs into the New Day when they're a full faction, when Big E, Xavier, and Kofi are a threesome. They put all their eggs in the New Day. They put all of their eggs in the bloodline. I never felt that WWE was going to go all the way with Judgment Day. What is Judgment Day without Edge? All the teases... All of the potential that it had, what does it mean now? Looking back at all of that, WWE wasted all of our times, all these weeks about, oh, who's going to join Edge? Who's going to learn off Edge? Who's going to feed off Edge? We all looked at this collectively as a community, as Edge, as the centerpiece, taking all of these names who... Let's be honest, haven't really been given an opportunity on Monday Night Raw like they should have been. They're not at the level of where we want them to be, where they should be because of WWE's terrible writing. We all looked at Edge as legitimately the savior of Rhea Ripley, the savior of a Damian Priest. He was looked at as the man who was going to change change course for these terrible gimmicks that we've seen and these dying acts in the mid-card on Monday night. Then we were talking about, it's great if Tommaso Ciampa comes on in. He's an NXT original, black and gold, the greatest NXT champion that there ever was. Nobody trusts Tommaso Ciampa on the main roster. Nobody trusts WWE to do right by him on the main roster. He hasn't had any. He's been on the main roster criminal criminal he's been on the main roster for about seven weeks now and not one fucking thing of note has Tommaso Ciampa done 
We looked at Edge to do something right with him. Bring him on in. Welcome him with open arms. Take Dominic Dijakovic, who is an absolute fucking beast, right? Somebody that tweeted tonight, he only wants an opportunity. Somebody like Mustafa Ali, who's been buried by WWE creative. None of that is going to happen now. None of that is going to happen. Edge was taken out of the group. Now you insert Finn Balor, who he himself, I'll get to him in a second, he is a natural leader. He led the Bullet Club in Japan, but it's not going to be the same with Balor leading Judgment Day like Edge was leading Judgment Day. This is going to be a fresh start for Finn Balor. I think Finn Balor going heel is going to be a great thing. But Finn Balor is not going to rub off on Rhea Ripley and rub off on Damian Priest and rub off on anybody else that you may potentially want to bring into the group like Edge was going to rub off on everybody else. So what WWE has done is actively killed Judgment Day. They're dead. Judgment Day will amount to nothing. Do you honestly think that WWE is going to look at Judgment Day and give them the same, the same opportunities and the same creative as they did with Edge? Are, are, are you looking at this version of Judgment Day? You think WWE is going to give them the same effort, the amount of effort that they put into the Usos and the Bloodline and Roman Reigns and, and the New Day? You think the WWE is going to give them the same amount of effort? I don't think so. I think anybody thinking that is a fucking fool. Nobody's going to give this version of Judgment Day any fucking effort whatsoever. These are all outcasts that WWE had no fucking interest in in the first place. They straddled them with Edge, and now Edge is not there. Now you expect them to fucking swim without one of the biggest names in the history of this company leading the group? Failure. Absolute failure. All they got was what chance... All they got was very lukewarm reactions. Edge is a master. I love Edge. I think Edge is a, a better heel than he is a babyface. But WWE seemingly has cut their fucking losses here, and it's not working out. It wasn't working out, and the reaction that they were getting just wasn't there. So that's my take on that aspect of Judgment Day. Number two, a lot of this breaking up of Judgment Day has to do with Cody Rhodes. And if you don't think that, again, you're a fucking fool. Judgment Day was broken up today and they kicked out Edge because they realized that Cody Rhodes is going to be out for more than five months, six months. I don't know how long he's going to be out after what he did on Sunday night. They're aiming at a return at the Royal Rumble is what I heard from The Observer and Dave Meltzer. Edge is now going to be a babyface because WWE doesn't have any babyfaces on Monday Night Raw. They don't have any babyfaces that they're forced to bring back John Cena for the summer because Cody Rhodes, their number one babyface, is out with a torn pectoral muscle. So a lot of this also has to do with Cody Rhodes getting injured. If Cody Rhodes was 100% healthy coming into tonight's show, I, I don't think we see the breakup of Judgment Day. I firmly believe that we don't see the breakup of Judgment Day, and they would have legitimately added somebody in that group alongside Rhea Ripley, alongside Damian Priest, and alongside Edge that made sense and made the group stronger. But a lot of this has to do with the fact that it just did not get over, and Edge is probably going back to be a babyface 
because they don't have anybody else on Monday Night Raw to fill that void, a huge void, a huge void of Cody Rhodes not being there. So that's the reason why Judgment Day was pretty much destroyed on Monday Night Raw tonight. Now, I'm going to miss Judgment Day just for the simple fact that I love Alter Bridge and the other side is not going to be their theme song. And it may very well be, and they'll just omit Edge's spoken word in the beginning of the song. But I do hope that they still keep that song because that song and that vibe fits the group. If you change anything about the group from what Edge originally set forth with the group on day one, it's not going to be the same, and you're already setting the group up for failure. So if you start changing how they look and the graphics and the LED boards, and then you start tinkering with their fucking theme music to take away that song and give them something generic and fucking boring that lacks personality, the group will go nowhere. The group is going nowhere anyway. You don't want to facilitate that and accelerate that on top of what we are already feeling after tonight's show with Edge being kicked out of the group. So those are the two reasons why I think Judgment Day ultimately has failed. Now, they seemingly have written off Edge on television. I don't know why. I would figure he would get more work. The fact that now Cody Rhodes is not going to be on the television show for about six months. But I'm not Bruce Pritchard. I don't really want to be. And WWE really... They surprised us with something that I don't really think was in the cards for Judgment Day coming out of last night. That's just my honest take on that. The other thing that happened tonight was John Cena is making a return to the WWE on June 27th. That is the Monday after the AEW New Japan Forbidden Door pay-per-view that's emanating from Chicago. That following Monday, John Cena will be in Laredo, Texas, making his return to Monday Night Raw. If you guys watch my extra this afternoon, I talked about John Cena. Go check that out. It's on the homepage right now. If you guys missed the 30 minutes of uh, just straight facts and truth talking about today's top stories. So make sure you guys go check that out. John Cena posted a little teaser, a little Easter egg about the United States Championship and why he may be on his way back to the WWE. And it was a picture of Kevin Owens. All you seen was Kevin Owens' boot. The night that Kevin Owens made his Monday Night Raw debut as NXT Black and Gold Champion, the night he confronted John Cena, Kevin Owens stepped on the United States Championship. The picture on Instagram was nothing more than Kevin Owens' boot stepping on the United States Championship. John Cena seemingly now announced to come back right before the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. Seemingly, all those Easter eggs and all those interactions with Austin Theory are potentially leading to an Austin Theory versus John Cena match at SummerSlam for the United States Championship. Now, I know a lot of people don't like John Cena, but I'm going to need everybody to get on the same page and start appreciating John Cena because John Cena is legitimately still the biggest name that WWE has at their disposal that's not named Dwayne Johnson. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great, 
talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash blue wire sports offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at indeed.com slash blue wire sports. That's indeed.com slash blue wire sports and support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast indeed.com slash blue wire sports terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed. The Rock has not been there in many, many, many years. John Cena at least tries to show up once a year, and they usually put him in something major. Now, I don't know what WWE is paying John Cena to come back. I don't know how long they think they have John Cena. But John Cena being back, if it's three weeks, four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, all through the summer, it's definitely going to alleviate the pain of Cody Rhodes not being there. And if I'm WWE and I'm out of options because of their fucking failures to create new stars and build legitimate fucking stars from the roster that they have right now, I am on my hands and knees begging John Cena to stay longer than just the summer. So what am I doing with John Cena? Well, before this, on Sunday night during the Hell in a Cell post-show, I pitched Judgment Day versus John Cena for SummerSlam just based off the aspect that John Cena may not be around for WrestleMania. And that's something I want to see before Edge goes bye-bye and we end this run of Edge and he goes home and fully retires. I want to see John Cena versus Edge one more time because I do think that Edge is one of John Cena's greatest rivals. And I do think that match makes sense. Maybe we get it somewhere in some other shape or some other form. Maybe we get that match when John Cena is back and he's chasing number 17. I think that would be fucking incredible. So I've been pushing for Edge versus John Cena at SummerSlam. And before we saw what we saw tonight with Judgment Day, I was pitching John Cena versus Judgment Day. I thought that would be a great target for Edge and company to target John Cena. Now it looks like we're getting John Cena versus Austin Theory and all the seeds and all the Easter eggs are legitimately going to become true on what we saw on social media. You might not like what I'm about to tell you. You might not like where I'm about to go with this, but I don't really give a shit. It's my show. You want to talk about what you want to talk about, go start your own fucking YouTube channel, man. If John Cena versus Austin Theory is the plan for SummerSlam, I'm having John Cena beat Austin Theory and become the new United States champion. That's what I'm doing. Austin Theory and John Cena right now, to me, I don't have any interest in that whatsoever. I don't want to see Austin Theory beat John Cena. I don't think Austin Theory beating John Cena at this stage of the game this soon is going to do anybody any good. I really don't. Austin Theory is a baby on Monday Night Raw. There's no reason to strap the rocket to him right now uh, where the roster is right now because he's not really going to factor into anything outside of what he's doing right now. He's not going to be elevated with what he does by beating John Cena. So if I'm WWE, and yes, I don't think he will be elevated by beating John Cena because where exactly is he going? He beats John Cena as the United States champion. That following Monday, he's still going to be the United States champion, and they're probably going to be putting him in a feud with another fucking mid-card act that hasn't seen the light of day in months. So what exactly are you using John Cena for? Why don't you give Austin Theory some fucking time to marinate and get him some real momentum and then do the match when Austin Theory is a little bit more seasoned. And Austin Theory has a fucking 
spot on the card where he's able to move up the card and then you can slot him into the fucking main event scene. He ain't factor into anything right now. Not with Rollins there, not with Cody there, not with Roman holding the fucking two major titles hostage. Why would you do that? I don't find that to make any sense whatsoever. John Cena, in my opinion, should beat Austin Theory for the United States Championship and take that United States Championship and by hook or by crook, WWE should beg John Cena to fucking stay and we get the John Cena United States Championship open again. And this was pitched to me by a couple of people online. And I love this idea. We need... We desperately need, and I'm putting this into existence right now because WWE, really, they are out of options. John Cena wins the United States Championship. Go back and look at John Cena's first run as United States Champion, man, with the United States Open Challenge. Look at the plethora of talent that he got in the ring with, man. Sami Zayn, Cesaro, John Moxley, Dean Ambrose, then Wade Barrett, Pac, right? Adrian Neville. These are men that were all given an opportunity against the biggest name in the company who downsized his role to get the younger talent over because John Cena knows that the future of the company is in the young stars. I'm tired of these retired old veterans that WWE continues to bring back and put the load on their back because they are afraid to give the ball to a young up-and-coming superstar. John Cena wins the United States Championship at SummerSlam, and you have him defend that title weekly against people coming out of NXT. I want to see John Cena versus Santos Escobar. I want to see John Cena versus Tony D'Angelo. I want to see John Cena versus Carmelo Hayes. I want to see John Cena versus Joe Gacy. I want to see John Cena versus Braun Breaker. That's what we need to do. And that's the best course of action. What you did for Kevin Owens when Kevin Owens was the NXT champion, there should be no fucking excuse why John Cena can't do the same for Carmelo Hayes and a Braun Breaker and a Tony D'Angelo to fast track them into the eyes of the WWE main roster audience. Because WWE clearly doesn't give a shit about building new stars. So why not you use that means through John Cena? Because I know he'd take great pleasure in doing all of that plus some and doing WWE's job better than they can do it. That's what I want to see. So I'm having John Cena beat Carmelo. I'm having John Cena beat, not Carmelo Hayes, but I'm having John Cena beat Austin Theory for the United States Championship. And I'd have him go over and beat all those guys. And maybe, maybe one of them will surprise us and take the United States Championship off of John Cena and then make their main roster run. That's what needs to be done. Because WWE certainly ain't doing it. So if you want to utilize John Cena in the right way, you want to capitalize on John Cena, that's what you do. Enough of this shit. Enough bringing in John. If you bring in John Cena to, to, to put over Austin Theory, then John Cena is just doing the same fucking thing that he already spoke out against. The Goldbergs and the fucking, all these other aging legends that come in and do nothing. What is he doing? What is he doing? He comes in, he puts over Austin Theory, and Austin Theory goes nowhere. You're actively wasting our time, and you're wasting the more valuable time of John Cena. 
instead of using him to get over everybody else that you want to call up eventually in NXT. That's what needs to be done. Other than that, on Monday Night Raw, we got Liv Morgan, Doe Drop, Rhea Ripley, and who else was in the match, man? It was, oh yeah, Alexa Bliss. I'm supporting me forgetting about Alexa Bliss. How could I? How could I? Uh, Fatal 4-Way, number one contenders match for the Raw Women's Championship. And Rhea Ripley is now the number one contender for Bianca Belair. She will get her Women's Championship match at Money in the Bank. Not a big fan of that move because I only see one thing and one thing only coming out of that main event tonight. And that is Rhea Ripley being nothing more than a bridge for Becky Lynch and Bianca Belair to get their main event match at SummerSlam in Nashville, Tennessee, one of WWE's largest stadium shows of the year. Not a big fan of Rhea Ripley being nothing more than a footnote in the title reign of Bianca Belair when Rhea Ripley, let's be honest, deserves an opportunity now that she's a heel and deserves a solid feud with somebody that I honestly think she could have a great history of feuds with in Bianca Belair. This is all for Becky Lynch because Becky Lynch is not going to challenge Bianca Belair for the Raw Women's Championship in the more intimate setting of the MGM Grand. Becky Lynch doesn't really challenge for championships unless it's in a large stadium like SummerSlam will be conducted in, which is fucked up. Which is absolutely fucked up. And we got the Street Profits versus the Usos, and then Matt Riddle has also staked claim at Roman Reigns and the undisputed heavyweight championship of WWE. All this plus so much more right here on OTS tonight, man. Make sure you guys hit that thumbs up, man. You know, for a lot of people that want to argue with me on social media, man, there's certainly a lot of people watching me every fucking week, man. Every week. Why? Because we're the fucking best at what we do, man. I got more ideas that make sense, more so than anybody, yet all you see about me is negativity online. I know what I'm talking about, man. That's why we do our thing here weekly on Off The Script. I appreciate all of your support. Coming out of last night's Hell in a Cell, 4,000 in the venue. We got 3,000 tonight. Thank you guys very much for all of your support. Follow me on social media, at JD from NY206. That's Twitter and Instagram. Hit that subscribe button down below. Turn on the bell for all notifications. Guys, I see 3,000 in the venue right now, but I only see 684 likes. Why is that? There should be at least, I'm up in the ante tonight, man. There should be at least 1,200 minimum on that like button. So if you guys are in the chat, if you guys are in the OTS venue with me right now, I need you to hit that thumbs up if you guys have not done so yet. Make sure you go check out the extra, the OTS extra that I did earlier today. We talked to Cody Rhodes. Apparently, WWE's calling it a modern-day classic. Go check that out. We talked about MJF. Apparently, Warner Brothers and Warner Discovery have taken MJF off of all promotional material for the rest of the summer. I mean, then we talked about John Cena potentially coming back to the WWE, which they revealed tonight on Monday Night Raw. So go check all that stuff out. It's on the homepage, including Hell in a Cell, and then SmackDown last week as well with AEW Rampage, where we talked about the CM Punk news and him breaking his foot. Going to be out four to six weeks. Is CM Punk still the AEW World Heavyweight Champion? 
Go get your t-shirts, man. Bonfire is the place. Bonfire.com, the exclusive home of Off the Script. You guys can get that beautiful looking design right there, man. The dawn of the IWC. Now exclusively available on Bonfire.com. Go pick that up and wear that loud and proud this summer, man. I want to see that shit all over the place, man. If you're going to go and support the podcast, go get yourself a new t-shirt. Courtesy of the podcast. And today's show is sponsored by Blue Chew. BlueChew.com. You guys are going to use that code JD at checkouts for your F-R-E-E free sample. So make sure you guys go hit up them and show some support, man, because Blue Chew loves us and we love Blue Chew. BlueChew.com. Code JD at checkout. And I want to thank them for once again supporting the podcast right here on Off the Scripts. Let's get into Monday Night Raw, man. Cody Rhodes starts the show off as he should because he is the number one man in this company at this point. Torn, peck, and all is Cody Rhodes. And I've been very vocal about the Cody Rhodes situation, man. Very, very vocal about the Cody Rhodes situation, and we will get into that in just a second. But Cody Rhodes came out. He's wearing a very beautiful suit. Very beautiful suit, vest, and... Nice pair of slacks. No suit jacket, though. His right arm was pretty much just dangling there. He has no use of his right arm. Absolutely useless is Cody Rhodes' right arm. And he's in the ring, and the fans are chanting, Thank you, Cody. Thank you, Cody. He says it warms his heart. He said he's seen a lot of people praising his effort and having reverence for what I was able to do. He says he doesn't believe in that necessarily because it is a privilege to do what I am able to do. He said tearing his pectoral tendon completely off the bone is demoralizing, but he doesn't want to be demoralized. He said, for those who don't know, he has a daughter. And every time he talks about liberty, his daughter, his voice begins to crack and he gets very emotional. He said when she is old enough, he wants her to know that in the darkest of times, and potentially the lowest time of his career in what could have been the worst night in what was literal hell, he wasn't cynical or jaded, but he stood and fought. Another loud Cody chant rang out. Cody said he fought one of the top superstars in the history of pro wrestling in Seth Rollins. I don't like him either. And he said the rivalry is over and he is officially done with Seth Rollins. He said, with that in mind, he wanted to talk about what's above him. He looks up and the camera pans up and we see the money in the bank briefcase, the men's and the women's money in the bank contracts in the briefcases hanging above the ring. No qualifying matches as of this week on Monday Night Raw, which is kind of odd And WWE always seems to drop the ball on the money in the bank bill. They don't really build it up to be big and important. It should all start with qualifying matches. You got three hours of fucking television. You should absolutely have qualifying matches on Monday night and Friday night to fill out the men's money in the bank ladder match. You need three qualifying matches on Monday, which I'm sure you could muster up, Bruce, but you just failed to do so. And three on SmackDown, which would be a little bit more... Difficult to do on SmackDown, seeing that their roster is fucking so terrible right now. It'll be a little little bit more difficult to do on Friday night. But no qualifying matches, to me, that is a huge misfire on WWE's 
creator. So we see the money in the bank briefcase is hanging above. And he said the contract inside of those briefcases has eluded him his entire career. He said in four weeks, maybe somehow, some way, he will be able to climb up that ladder and grab one of the briefcases and cash it in and become the WWE champion. Now, I and many others were confused by this. And I know a lot of people have been throwing around the word and the meaning of the word work because of MJF and what happened with him. But the fact that Cody Rhodes said that in that manner, a lot of people began to ask, is this all a work? Now, I don't think it is. I would not put it past WWE if they did make this all into a work and what we saw last night was a work. I don't believe it is. I do think that the injury is legit, and I do think that Cody is gone for the rest of the year. Unfortunately, I I don't want to see that happen. They need him more than ever right now, more than anybody in that company. They need Cody Rhodes. But it did get people wondering if he would be ready in four weeks for the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. He won't be there. He got written off TV tonight, which I'll get to in a second. Seth Rollins limped out. So he limped out, and Cody's in the ring. Seth gets in the ring. Seth has a microphone, and he looked very normal. Seth Rollins was very normalized tonight. He wasn't uh, over the top at all like he usually is. I still do not like you, he said to Cody Rhodes. But after what you put yourself through last night, you have earned my respect. Seth said the world is calling it one of the gutsiest performances in the history of the business. He said he is the toughest person he has ever been in the ring with. Cody seemed all choked up and emotional. And he even got more emotional because Seth Rollins mentioned Dusty. Seth said he might be the last person he needs to hear this from, but Dusty is very proud of his baby boy right now. Cody looked like he was holding back tears when Dusty's name was mentioned. Another loud Cody chant in the arena. Seth said he came out to shake his hand. Cody shook his hand with the good hand, with the good arm, and they embraced in the middle of the ring. A very real and heartfelt moment between Cody Rhodes and Seth Rollins. They could have easily left it like that. But of course they didn't, and I'm glad that they didn't. i seen people online claiming that they wanted that to be the end of the segment. I'm glad they didn't leave that as the end of the segment because it doesn't play into who Seth Rollins is. And a lot of these people online that wanted the segment to end with a handshake clearly are not up on how pro wrestling and a heel works, which is quite laughable. <laughs> I won't mention names, but, I mean, it just shows the lack of intelligence in and around the IWC. Cody smiled, waved to the fans, and that was pretty much it. Until, until Seth Rollins, he walks to the back. When Cody's out there embracing everybody and waving goodbye to everybody, Rollins comes out with the sledgehammer and blasts Cody Rhodes in the back of the neck With it, every time I see somebody do what Seth Rollins did tonight, I get flashbacks of Tommaso Ciampa 
and Johnny Gargano, man. This is a playbook of Tommaso Ciampa. He ripped out a page from the Tommaso Ciampa playbook, man. I love it. It is so good. So Rollins, he ripped off Cody's vest. He ripped off Cody's dress shirt. He started digging in with the sledgehammer on the bruised fucking pectoral spot that's all purple and blue. He dug the edge of the sledgehammer into his chest, and Rollins was maniacal. Rollins was laughing and reveling in the dirty work here as the crowd literally rained down booze upon Seth Rollins. There was a gurney out there. Cody Rhodes refused the gurney. Cody Rhodes tried to get up on his own accord and walk away. This was a great segment. This was a great segment, and Rollins really played the still bitter heel for losing to Cody so incredibly well, man. This is going to drive him into madness. This is going to drive him into madness. What do we do here? Cody legitimately is going to be out. And I'll get to Cody in a second. Cody's legitimately going to be out. Cody and the return time frame, they're already aiming for the Royal Rumble. With what Cody Rhodes did on Sunday night, if Vince McMahon isn't handing him the Royal Rumble and the keys to the WrestleMania main event and a WWE championship on top of that, I don't know what the fuck we're doing here. Okay? How do we get Cody to the main event of WrestleMania? I would rather see Cody versus Roman Reigns, but with all that is going on right now with Seth Rollins... I would not be opposed to Seth Rollins winning money in the bank and Seth Rollins tormenting and chasing Roman Reigns for the undisputed World Heavyweight Championship, potentially beating Roman Reigns. Or if Roman Reigns is going to drop that title to Drew McIntyre, maybe we get Drew McIntyre involved. Maybe Seth takes the title from Drew McIntyre at Clash at the Castle, after Clash at the Castle. I don't know. But can you imagine Seth Rollins as the one to take the title away while Cody is out? I think that pretty much writes itself. Or if WWE really wants to get a little adventurous, which they haven't done with the Money in the Bank briefcase in many, many, many years, they usually win, or someone usually wins the briefcase, and then WWE, it's like poison. They want to cash in immediately on the next fucking Monday Night Raw 24 hours later or the next Friday Night SmackDown on Friday. We don't want to see that. It's been a a long time since WWE's given the Money in the Bank briefcase to somebody else, and they really held it for a long extended period of time. The last one we saw was The Miz, and Otis had the fucking briefcase, and they went back and forth with that bullshit. That was the last time, and that that was awful. All of that was just terribly, terribly fucking written and just god awful. Imagine if Seth Rollins holds the briefcase for all of these months. Cody Rhodes comes back. He finally gets a championship match. And Seth Rollins is the one to take it away from him before WrestleMania. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if Cody Rhodes... Just theoretically think about this. If Cody Rhodes comes back... If Cody Rhodes comes back before the Royal Rumble, say in November and December, people heal differently. I'm just throwing shit at the wall. If he comes back in November, comes back in December, maybe, maybe Cody Rhodes wins the world title or gets a world title opportunity in December or January, but he wins the world title and Seth Rollins cashes in on Cody to take the fucking title away from Cody and Cody and the only way he gets back to the world championship is by winning the Royal Rumble and he wins the Royal Rumble at the number one position. I've been fiending for a storyline like that, man. 
coming in at number one and lasting all the way up until the end, and he gets the fucking title shot at WrestleMania by winning the Royal Rumble at the number one position. I would love to see that. But all through this, Seth Rollins would be the antagonist, and it would be Rollins versus Rhodes for at WrestleMania, and Cody wins the title from Seth Rollins at WrestleMania in the main event, and everybody gets sent home happy. Now, I would like to see him wrestle Roman and beat Roman, but I don't think WWE is going to go that far. I, I, I do think that Cody at this point doesn't really give a shit who it's against. I, I do think the story is in the chase. Uh, I think everybody, including me, was having dreams of grandeur here with Cody Rhodes and Roman Reigns. I don't think... I mean, that story writes itself. I mean, I'd love to see the match eventually, but it might not be for the WWE Championship. But Cody Rhodes wrestling for the World Championship and winning the World Championship, at this point, I don't think Cody even gives a shit about who it's against. He just wants it to happen. And Seth Rollins right now may be one of the best choices, if not the best choice, for Cody Rhodes and that World Championship. Now, the other thing I wanted to talk about here and yes, it, it will take long-term booking for WWE to get those uh, those storylines out there, but they don't really have long-term booking in their mindset. Now, what I want to talk about here is, is the Cody Rhodes situation, and this is the last and final time I will talk about this because I have had a lot of people, a lot of people on social media today really expose themselves for being very, very, very short-sighted and downright shilling the WWE for whatever reason. I don't really understand. Bruce is not going to give you a blowjob. You don't own stocks. You're not making any back end on WWE's behalf. Give me a break and stop the fucking stand up for WWE bullshit, okay? Cody Rhodes, I said this last night. Cody Rhodes and his mentality... I'm not shocked that Cody Rhodes went out there and did what he did, even though he did get clearance from doctors to go wrestle Seth Rollins, okay? I get it. What Cody Rhodes did was fucking tremendous. What Cody Rhodes did was incredible. I said last night that Cody Rhodes may be right now in all of pro wrestling, my favorite pro wrestler, man. It is very difficult to hate Cody Rhodes, but with all of the talk about how Cody got cleared. Cody got cleared by doctors. Cody's decision was his own to go out there. And they sent him out there because WWE told Cody Rhodes, well, you don't really have anything else to ruin here as far as tearing the, pe the pectoral muscle. You tore everything off the fucking bone. There's no more damage that you could really do to it. So you'll be fine to go out there as long as you can withstand the pain. That doesn't make it right. That doesn't give WWE the right here for Cody Rhodes, and that doesn't give Cody Rhodes the right to go out there and wrestle the way that he did. Let me tell you guys something, man. I had people close to me tell me last night that what they watched was as gruesome as anything that they've seen from WWE in a very long time. It was so gruesome that the Chicago fans, some of the best fans in the world, Chicago inside the All-State Arena were morbidly fucking shocked for the first third of this match where there was just dead silence because of the way Cody Rhodes looked last night. Fans don't want to see wrestlers that are in pain like that before the match fucking starts. Fans don't want to see somebody perform in the condition that Cody Rhodes performed in last night, okay? Because Cody said he did it on his own, 
doesn't make it right. It makes Cody look like a fucking legend, but it also makes Cody Rhodes look completely irresponsible. It also makes WWE look completely irresponsible as well. In no other sport, and I don't give a fuck who you are, man, you're not going to have Tom Brady go out there and fucking tear tendons in his arm and continue to throw the fucking football for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, okay? You're not going to have somebody play baseball, whoever the best first base, you're not going to have Mike Trout go out there with fucking a torn pectoral muscle and have one use, no, no use of his arm and only the use of one arm. Oh, but I got my other arm. I'm good to go because I got my other arm. It's my weaker arm, but I'm still good. I could still give you guys my other arm. Or Freddie Freeman fucking injure his torn pec, right? Or, or play with a torn pec. Oh, he's playing first base. He can still catch the ball off of a ground ball, right? In no other sport are you going to get an organization to send somebody out there and do what they did, do what WWE did with Cody Rhodes. It's irresponsible. And that was the point of my fucking argument. I don't give a shit what Cody did. Cody is his own man. But I'm more upset about the situation because WWE A has refused to acknowledge their fucking roster problems. And that's the bane of my fucking argument. WWE has refused to, you know, even do anything and, and talk about their roster problems. They don't, they don't give a shit about their roster problems. They're, they're operating right now with two brands on Raw and SmackDown in the, in the middle of a brand split, and none of these shows are operating under brand split rules. And Cody Rhodes right now went out there on Sunday night as injured as he was. It was irresponsible for WWE to send him out there because he had the use of only one of his arms. And yes, the match is over, and we're all looking back at it, but the fucking bullshit that I got about, oh, it's not a big deal, oh, oh they're professionals. I I'm sorry, when, when did Cody Rhodes and Seth Rollins and everybody like Cody Rhodes and Seth Rollins, professional wrestlers, when have they ever taken on the role of God? So you mean to tell me no matter how good you are at your profession, you're going to go in there and do everything you need to do and execute everything you do 100% perfect without making a fucking mistake? You mean to tell me that Cody Rhodes and Seth Rollins are without error? I'm sorry, I failed to comprehend how it's responsible for WWE to send Cody Rhodes out there when he had no fucking use of his right side. So everything that he did that was executed in that match was a complete 100% liability. And I don't give a fuck how good they are. If Cody Rhodes was sent out there and doctors told him that he was good to go because he couldn't injure his pec muscle anymore, that doesn't mean he was good enough to protect himself and Seth Rollins on Sunday night. That is irresponsible. That's the basis of my argument. Cody Rhodes was sent out there and doctors told him that he was good to go to go in there and wrestle. But Cody Rhodes 100% was not good enough to go in there and protect Seth Rollins from potential injury. No matter how good Seth Rollins is, you could fucking slip. You could fucking do anything in that ring and break an ankle, break a wrist, break a leg, fucking anything. Twist an ankle, concussion. This isn't fucking, 
you know, a, a day at the playground. This is professional wrestling. They risk their lives to get in there every single fucking day. The one thing that you are entrusted with when you step in between those ropes is the life of your dance partner. WWE seemingly threw all that out the window and let Cody Rhodes go out there and be a legend all on his own without actually taking the idea into effect that Rollins could potentially be injured because Cody Rhodes is okay with just one arm. Oh, but they they produced the match and they structured the match the way that they did. I don't give a shit. I don't give a fuck what they did and how they structured this and how they produced that. No matter what, you can't fuck something as simple of a, a, a as a suplex up. You can't fuck up a pedigree, right? How many times has AJ Styles have we seen in the past? How many fucking times? Have we seen AJ Styles execute a Styles Clash and people still don't manage their fucking head in the way that he needs them to before he drops them on their fucking face, man? How many times have we seen people potentially break their neck with the Styles Clash? It's not an easy... It looks easy, right? It looks easy. CM Punk... CM Punk's another one, man. CM Punk is at the top of his fucking game. He didn't have a broken foot on uh, Double or Nothing Sunday, right? Look at him do something as simple to you guys as a buckshot lariat. All he's doing is flipping over and doing a lariat with the momentum of his weight carrying him onto his opponent. CM Punk springboarded into the ring, flipped into the ring, and botched the fucking move. You don't think CM Punk coming down as he's flipping over the ropes could potentially break his fucking ankle? I'm sorry. How many times have you seen somebody body slam somebody or suplex somebody and they get dropped on their fucking head? Give me a break, folks. A lot of these fucking people are making excuses and trying to justify the heroic act of Cody Rhodes for absolutely no fucking reason. What Cody Rhodes did was tremendous. What Cody Rhodes did is legendary. What Cody Rhodes did was... Make himself into a bigger star before he walked into the Hell in a Cell. But is that enough? Is that enough for you? What if Seth Rollins got hurt? Would you be crying the way that you think that I am? See, I'm looking out for everybody, man. I don't want to see guys like Rollins or Cody get injured. Cody was already injured. You wanted to see Seth Rollins get injured as well? They already have fucking roster problems. You want to take Rollins off of TV in what is the best run of his career? What if he got hurt? Nobody seems to take that into consideration. These are medical professionals. I don't give a fuck what they say. Cody Rhodes was a liability to Seth Rollins. Somehow, some way, that got lost in translation. It's ridiculous. And I said this on today's podcast. Cody Rhodes did what he did for Cody Rhodes. Cody Rhodes looks bigger and badder and better than ever after what he did. But that doesn't mean everybody else is going to get that same fucking opportunity. If you're going to do that for Cody Rhodes and send Cody Rhodes out there when somebody else tears their fucking pec muscle, I want to see somebody else get sent out there so they have an opportunity to do what Cody Rhodes did. I'll tell you what, here's a fucking spoiler. You'll never see that happen again. You'll never see it happen again. 
And I mentioned Ali because he was the only other guy on the show that I could possibly think of at the time. He was on Sunday's show. What if Ali had a torn fucking pec muscle? What if Ali completely tore his pec muscle off the bone before his match training with Austin Theory for the United States Championship? You think WWE would send Mustafa Ali out there to do the fucking match because, oh, he can't damage it anymore, so why not? If he wants to go out there, let him go out. WWE would never afford Ali to go out there and do what Cody Rhodes did because he's not Cody Rhodes. It sets a terrible fucking standard for everybody else who may want to make that same decision for themselves. Cody made that decision for himself. That doesn't mean anybody else that's ever put in that unfortunate circumstance is going to be able to make that decision for themselves like Cody did. And the other thing is a lot of people claim that this was like Kenny Omega. Oh, JD never seen Triple H tear his pec muscle. Triple H tore his pec muscle in the middle of a fucking match that should have never even taken place. He didn't tear the fucking thing training for the goddamn match. He tore it in the fucking match with Kane and The Undertaker with Shawn Michaels as his partner in Saudi Arabia. What do you want him to do? What do you want him to do? He was in the match. You want him to just get up and leave Shawn Michaels by himself, which he basically did anyway. He was out there, but he served no fucking purpose. It's not the same thing. He didn't fucking get sent out there with an already torn pec muscle off the bone. A lot of people are comparing this to Kenny Omega as well. You people got some fucking nerve, man. Kenny Omega had two functioning legs. Kenny Omega had a functioning back. Kenny Omega had two functioning shoulder blades. Kenny Omega was banged the fuck up through years and years and years of fucking damage done to his body. He had stem cell treatments to take care of a minor sports hernia. He had banged up, fucked up knees. He had a shoulder problem. That doesn't mean he wasn't able to go out there and wrestle. If Kenny Omega told you, or if Kenny Omega didn't tell you he was injured, you probably would have never even fucking figured out that Kenny Omega was injured because I couldn't fucking tell the difference if he was hurt or not because he is fucking great at what he does. But he told everybody that he was hurt and banged up. He got stem cell treatment just to get through the last legs of that run so that he could get the title on Hangman. He didn't go out there with one leg. He didn't go out there with one arm. He didn't go out there with fucking a bruised, entire bruised chest because he had a torn pec muscle. And I don't think Tony Khan would even send him out there anyway. Give me a break. Give me a fucking break, man. WWE was irresponsible for the reasons that I just mentioned. But Cody Rhodes looks like a god. Cody Rhodes looks like the biggest baby face in the history of fucking baby faces in this business, man. And good for him. We all love Cody. We all look out for Cody. We love Cody. We look out for Seth. We love Seth and what he's doing. We don't want to see these guys get hurt. We don't want to see these guys get injured. But Jesus fucking Christ, if you think fans want to see something like that again, you got another thing coming, man. Nobody wants to see fucking wrestlers perform under that situation and in those circumstances. WWE should have canceled the match. There's nothing here that couldn't wait until he got back. That's what a writing team is for. You have 40 fucking writers. What the fuck are they doing? And that's what happens when you build an entire fucking pay-per-view around one fucking match and you refuse to build up the fucking roster and create new stars. You get stuck with something like this that happened out of nowhere like that. Before you blink, you got nothing. 
I'm sorry, folks. I'm sorry, folks. If I make too much sense for you, I'm fucking sorry. Cody may have made the decision for himself. That doesn't make it right. And I've seen a lot of fucking retards on social media claiming that he said it and that he said it, it makes it right. No, it doesn't. It doesn't make it right because Cody said so. It makes it fucking stupid and it makes the company look even more stupid. And honestly, like Jesse said, it makes everything that CM Punk said about their fucking medical staff ring true. And you guys know what CM Punk said about WWE's medical staff. I don't need to repeat what he said all those years ago on what is still the biggest podcast of all time. Moving on. Becky Lynch and Dana Brooke. I don't know why we got this match, but here we are. Becky Lynch and Dana Brooke. This match started and went to a no contest. Becky Lynch... And Dana Brooke went to a no contest in under a minute. Why? Because the 24-7 catering VIPs came out. Tozawa ran to ringside, followed by T-Bag and R-Truth and Tamina. T-Bar was out there running alongside the 24-7 title circus. If that goes to show you what WWE thinks about T-Bar... I'm giving this guy another three weeks or so, and he's going to be on the phone log for Johnny Laurinaitis. Don't worry about it. He wants an opportunity. He'll get a fucking opportunity in 90 days when they let him go, and Tony Khan picks up the fucking phone. Hey, bro, come on over. We got a recommendation for you from big man Keith Lee. She said she wanted Dana to defend the 24-7 title because Dana pinned... I believe he pinned, or she pinned, Tozawa mid-match to win the 24-7 title. So Becky got upset and said, no, 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 no. Nobody's winning titles in a match that I'm a part of except for me. So Becky Lynch then challenged Dana Brooke for the 24-7 championship, and we got yet another match between Becky Lynch and Dana Brooke. This one went two minutes, and Dana Brooke beats Becky Lynch in two minutes because Asuka came out for support of Dana Brooke and Asuka apparently was on the outside as Becky went for a suplex. And all because of the suplex spot near to the ropes, Becky was tripped up by Asuka on the outside. And Dana Brooke got a jackknife cover on Becky Lynch and pinned Becky Lynch one, two, three. She retains the 24-7 title by pinning Becky Lynch. Yes, Dana Brooke beat Becky Lynch and the fucking world has come to a screeching halt on Monday night. Now, what I would have done here is I would have had Becky Lynch win the 24-7 title, burn the fucking title, and retire the title, never to see the title ever again. I would have absolutely, and I mean this wholeheartedly, man, I would have said everything I said about Becky Lynch, I would have came on here tonight, I would have taken everything back about Becky Lynch, and I would have apologized up and down all night to Becky Lynch if she did that. But clearly she did not. I think Becky Lynch needs to get back into the good graces of the fans. I thought that would have been a tremendous way to get back into the good graces of the audience, but we did not get so lucky. Dana Brooke retains the 24-7 championship. I don't know. I don't know. What's even funnier is people think that Dana Brooke beating Becky Lynch is somehow going to fucking take her to the fucking moon and give her this new push that supposedly people think is coming to Dana Brooke. This means nothing. This is already forgotten. You'll go to work tomorrow, and by the water cooler, you're talking about Monday Night Raw. It won't even be a fucking topic of discussion. 
That's it. Dana Brooke is going to go right back to catering and bake some fucking blueberry pie. And uh, the world will go round and round and round. And Titus will be fucking smiling from ear to ear because Dana Brooke did her job better than anybody, man. Give me a break. Becky Lynch in a 24-7 title match. It's exactly where she needs to be. Her time at the top right now should be given to others. We've seen enough of Becky Lynch chasing the Raw Women's Championship. Nobody gives a shit anymore. Miss TV. Miss TV. Every time I see Miss TV, man, I mute the fucking TV. Miz introduced his wife. Everybody on social media was going crazy over Maurice as if they never seen a fucking blonde with big tits before. Holy shit. Everybody going crazy, man. Tony Brown in the chat loves his booty meat. Apparently, everybody is a fucking breast guy on social media. Yes, Maurice is a beautiful woman. Okay, we get it. So, Miz is out there with Maurice, and he talked about the potential of winning the money in the bank for a third time and setting a record. Maurice says this is such a big occasion, talking about Miz and Mrs. She said her team didn't even know what Green Bay was. You'd think we'd be in a city people actually know about. Fans booed. Obviously, WWE always gets the cheap heat by mentioning the fucking city that they're in's uh, favorite sports team. In this case, it was the Green Bay Packers. So Miz, obviously hearing the fans boo, when my hand goes up, your mouth goes shut. My wife is talking. Do not disrespect her. Matt Riddle's music played. Matt Riddle came out, and he walked out, and he asked what was with all the harsh vibes. He gave Randy Orton a shout-out here tonight. Miz said Randy's career is over. It's not over. It's over until about SummerSlam. Randy's career is over, and now he's going to get beat up by the bloodline every week. Riddle told Miz to shut the hell up. He says he's tired of fighting Roman's minions week after week after week. He says he wants to fight the tribal piece of trash and take the WWE Undisputed Universal Championship from him. Miz called him absurd and started laughing. Riddle says his show features his wife dragging him around by his tiny balls. Mitch, uh, Mitch, Butch, Mitch, Miz looked down at his crotch Maurice told Riddle not to talk about her husband that way. She insisted Miz has average balls. Miz didn't like the fact that Maurice said he had average balls. She said they are above average. Then she said, oh, no, 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 they're huge. The biggest ever. Riddle said, prove it. So fans chanted, prove it. Miz says, what the hell is wrong with you people? Maurice issued a challenge for Riddle to face Miz. Riddle said, RKO420 says, I just smoked your ass. Miz says he is in a tuxedo, and this is his premiere party for Miz and Mrs. So the answer is no. Yes, Mitch the Plant. Yes. I'd rather see Mitch the Plant than watch Miz TV. Yes. Tommaso Ciampa then comes out of nowhere and attacks Riddle from behind. Graves wondered why he was there and where he came from. Saxon wondered why he targeted Riddle. I don't even think Bruce realizes that Tommaso Ciampa was out there, and I don't even think Bruce has a fucking reason as to why Tommaso Ciampa attacked Matt Riddle. No reason whatsoever. No reason whatsoever. So Miz saw Riddle was down and in pain from the attack of Tommaso Ciampa, so he accepted the challenge after all. 
What a great use of Tommaso Ciampa, huh? Holy shit, man. Tommaso Ciampa legitimately could be somebody that is a mega heel on this roster. Or a babyface. He'll play either one. And this is what they have him doing, man. Coming out and not really factoring into anything on Monday night. Part of a fucking piss TV segment with Miz and Maurice. So we got a Riddle and Miz match. This was fucking ridiculous. None of this mattered whatsoever. And I'll get to why in a second. So fans started chanting, Tiny Balls, Miz with his dress pants and a fucking tuxedo shirt started the match. And this ended when uh, Riddle ducked a move. He hit the RKO and then he pulls Miz's pants off. He pulls Miz's pants off. He unpants him and rips his shirt, delivers the RKO. And that is enough for Matt Riddle to get the victory here. Over The Miz, one, two, three. Now, The Miz, you know, he talks about wanting money in the bank. I don't know why we're looking at a money in the bank ladder match with three possible spots, four possible spots on Monday Night Raw, going to the Raw side with four possible spots ending up on SmackDown side, and one of those spots is going to be The Miz. You can't come up with another fucking act or another name that deserves an opportunity over The Fucking Miz if you only have four spots to go on Monday night, I don't get that. And then people, people on social media are defending, defending this fucking hideous, unfunny garbage. None of this was entertaining. None of this was funny. I don't care about Ms. or Mrs. or whatever the fuck, Ms. and Mrs., whatever the fucking show's name is. I don't care about any of that. What I care about is how they take Matt Riddle and move him forward in his war with the bloodline. He made mention that he wants the WWE Universal Championship. Fine. What does this have to do with any of that? Was this really needed on tonight's show? No. Why are we booking such garbage and none of it means anything if Matt Riddle is going to go on and wrestle Roman Reigns? What, what does this mean and how does this factor into the road that Matt Riddle is on to go after the Universal Championship. This is nothing more than mindless fucking television that WWE put out there to show to the audience because they have three hours of fucking television time and none of it really fucking made any sense and none of it should have really even been a thing. None of this factors into Roman Reigns and Matt Riddle at Money in the Bank. None of it. So why bother doing it? Why waste our time? Should have just saved Matt Riddle for SmackDown when the television matters when the storyline matters we didn't get riddle doing anything with roman reigns we didn't get riddle doing anything with the usos outside of coming out and supporting the street profits give me a break matt riddle and roman reigns is the right direction for money in the bank so i'm glad that wwe is sticking to their guns on that i heard a rumor that dave Meltzer said that bobby lashley versus roman reigns was the scheduled match for Money in the Bank. I hope to God that's not true because of what Bobby Lashley did at the end of his Omos match at Hell in a Cell. He took some child's replica WWE title away, started parading around ringside with it, claiming that he wants to get back to the top. Nobody wants to see that. Roman Reigns was Bobby Lashley. I'm over that. I am well beyond that, man. Riddle, Orton, McIntyre, that's the road for Roman Reigns and the bloodline. Do not stray from that simple is best. So let's stay the course. 
Speaking of the Street Profits, we got the Usos versus the Street Profits here. This is a championship contenders match. If the Street Profits win, they get a future tag team championship match against the Usos. I don't understand. And this is why I complain, man. Nobody, nobody really understands the gravity of the situation. WWE just unified the tag team championships. The Usos now hold the Raw and SmackDown tag team championships. You would think that now one team holds both shows tag team titles, that we'd see other tag teams get involved by wrestling other tag teams and then winning those tag team matches to eventually get a tag team title shot against the Usos. Leave it to Bruce Pritchard to not change any of the fucking creative plans, merge the divisions, and still operate the shows with the tag team divisions largely remaining the same. I can't name any other fucking tag teams on WWE television outside of Alpha Academy, the Street Profits, and the Usos. There's Los Lotharios. They're not factoring into anything. You want to claim that the New Day are a fucking tag team? By all means, go and claim that they're a tag team. You got Butch and uh, fucking Sheamus and Ridge Holly. You want to claim they're a fucking tag team? By all means. You know, it's easy for you to bring the Usos over to Monday Night Raw. Why, why can't you book the Brawling Brutes versus the Street Profits? Or the New Day versus the Street Profits? Or Los Lotharios versus the Street Profits? WWE wants to pretend like there's no brand split. But then the Usos show up with no explanation, and they only use the big names to move over from Raw to SmackDown to SmackDown to Raw. You have all these other fucking tag teams. You don't think Sheamus and Butch being a tag team would be great against the Street Profits? Or maybe the New Day coming over from SmackDown and wrestling the Street Profits and having the Street Profits win fucking matches against other tag teams in the division? What about the Viking Raiders? Where are they? Where are they? Why aren't they being moved over to SmackDown and over to Raw, back and forth. Why are we operating with a tag team division with one champion and we're still getting championship contender matches? I don't understand it. And this is the fucking problem. This is why I get upset. None of it makes any fucking sense. So WWE gives us a championship contenders match and clearly this is where they're going with the next shot at the Tag Team Championships. Now, the match itself was fine. The Profits are a great team. The Usos are a great team. I will say this, though. The Usos don't really feel the same on their own uh, when they're away from Roman Reigns. That's just the way I feel. When Roman Reigns is there, they feel like a much bigger deal because that's how big Roman Reigns is of a big deal. But when they're without Roman Reigns, I don't really get that same sense. They just feel very, very ordinary and I don't really like that feeling. So Roman Reigns needs to get back. Whenever he gets back, he needs to come back ASAP. So the Street Profits wasted no time. They went for very rapid fire near falls early on. The Usos regrouped at ringside. They took over after they kind of calmed down here. Jay backed Montez Ford into the corner and beat him down. Ford fought back with some hard chops and a standing drop kick. Angelo Dawkins ran wild on Jay and scored a close two count. Ford sent Jay Uso to the floor on the outside and hit a senton off the stairs. So we go to commercial break. We come back from break. 
The Usos gave Dawkins a double spine busted to gain control. They isolated Dawkins in their portion of the ring. Jimmy hit the Rikishi splash and stomped on his hand. Dawkins ended up on the apron. He started to fight back, started to make a babyface comeback, but the Usos grounded him again and threw Dawkins to the outside and threw him into the ring steps. So Jay scored another near fall back from a second commercial break on Montez Ford. Dawkins made a blind tag back in after Jay was beating down on Montez. Ford hit a dive onto Jay. Jimmy then hit a dive onto Ford. The fans are really getting invested into this. Dawkins hit a flip dive, wiping out the Usos. Ford then hit a huge frog splash for a near fall, but Jimmy broke up the pin attempt. All of a sudden, we get the finish. Montez Ford and Jay Uso, they were brawling around ringside. Jay sent Ford into the ring post. Ford recovered and dumped Jay over the timekeeper's barricade. Ford jumped back in the ring. Referee was making his counts. And all of a sudden, the Usos are still behind the barricade. Referee's up to a nine, 10, and the Usos get counted outs and lose the match via countout, giving the win to the Street Profits, Montez Ford and Angelo Dawkins. They receive a future title opportunity against the Usos at a later date, which I'm assuming will be money in the bank. So, again, I ask, we have the Usos who just literally a couple weeks ago won the Unified Tag Team Championships of WWE And right after they won in their second title defense, because they beat Riddle and Nakamura, in their second match as unified tag team champions, you have them lose via countout in the manner in which they lost tonight to justify the Street Profits getting a tag team championship. This should not be a thing now that we have one tag team champion and seemingly one division. Why are we still doing championship contender matches when I know you have other fucking tag teams on that roster and other groups that you could make tag teams out of? I don't know why we're going this same route. Fucking lazy. Lazy. It is awful. The Usos look like schmucks, and we've seen the Street Profits versus the Usos how many fucking times already? Let's get some fresh new blood in the tag team division. Give me a break with this lazy, creative writing. Bobby Lashley. Bobby Lashley's out there. He's talking about beating Omos at MVP at hell in a cell. He said he had MVP begging for mercy in the hurt lock, and it felt damn good. He said now that he has MVP and Omos in the rearview mirror, he was wondering what is next. He was interrupted by Austin Theory. Austin Theory walked out and says he doesn't know what authority allowed him to come out here and steal my spotlight, but this is my time He told the fans to shut up. He said Lashley is out there after someone who helped him win, whereas he won all on his own in his match against Ali. So he claimed that Lashley had help from Cedric Alexander at Hell in a Cell, and he beat Ali and retained the United States Championship all on his own. He asked Lashley to get out of my ring. Theory then said, Ashley, before you get out of my ring, let me take a selfie first. Lashley said, it's not Theory's ring. Let's settle this like gentlemen and fight about it. Theory said, they're going to have a match, but check out this first. Look at my bicep. And he flexed for Bobby Lashley. 
He flexed in Bobby Lashley's face. Bobby Lashley flexed right in front of Austin Theory's face, which obviously Lashley has a bigger bicep than Austin Theory. So Bobby Lashley said, listen, you know, I understand that you claim that uh, I I haven't beaten you, but he points at the United States Championship. Why don't you put that United States Championship belt on the line and see if I can beat you for that title? So Theory asked the fans if that's what they want. Theory looked at Lashley and said, you don't deserve a United States title match, Bobby. He says he's beaten Brock Lesnar, Randy Orton, and Drew McIntyre, but he hasn't defeated him. He pointed out how he is Mr. McMahon's protege. Lashley kicked him out of the ring and said, take a walk, kid. And Austin Theory kept talking to Bobby Lashley, kept talking trash as he walked up the ramp. I don't know if they're if they're going with Theory versus Lashley at Money in the Bank, but I mean, I I just don't care. I, I really don't care, honestly. It's not a match that I'm really interested in. I don't I don't care, you know. And this is WWE's problem. They could have such a great mid card if they want to utilize wrestlers coming over from SmackDown to Raw and Raw to SmackDown. Ricochet and Austin Theory right now, man, they're holding nothing but paperweights. They're holding nothing but paperweights. It's such a shame how WWE has taken their mid-card titles, their secondary titles, and have withered them down into nothing. It sucks. It it really does suck. And this was a complete waste of time. Ray and Dominic Mysterio. Booyaka, booyaka, 619. Booyaka, booyaka, Ray and Dominic Mysterio. We got Veer Mahan. Veer Mahan versus Dominic Mysterio. So we got a soundbite, a promo backstage from Veer. And he actually cut a very decent promo against Ray and Dominic Mysterio. Now, if you guys remember, you want to go back to my uh, Monday Night Raw post-show where Veer Mahan was on the King's Court with Jerry the King Lawler a couple of weeks ago. Veer Mahan looked and sounded like a savage animal, and he looked like a stereotypical heel built from Vince McMahon's workshop. Grunting and growling and fucking just acting completely unnatural. He was speaking in these slow words, and he was taking deep breaths, and he was loud, right? I said on that post-show that if Veer actually spoke like a decent human being, he might actually end up being a decent fucking promo. So what we got tonight was Veer kind of shedding all of that away, and Veer talked about Dominic and Rey Mysterio, and Veer cut a decent promo. Veer sounded like an actual human being, and I enjoyed it, and I think that should be the presentation of him moving forward. Because he sounds more intimidating when he sounds like a normal human being, Bruce. Veer said Dominic is nothing but a fly and he'll enjoy smashing the fly as his father looks on, unable to do anything to stop him. Listen, it worked. It worked. Veer and Dominic Mysterio, man, this was uh, this was uh, like a fucking three-legged race out here. And what I mean by that is Ray 
was on the outside and watched his son play ring around the Rosie with Veer for a good three minutes of this match. That went about eight minutes on Monday Night Raw. So Dominic avoided a charging Veer eventually and pounded away at him in the corner with some stiff shots. Dominic landed a top rope splash a couple of minutes later for a one count. So the big splash, the big frog splash, the big Eddie splash off the top rope. Veer kicked out at one. Veer took over with a lariat, set up for the cervical clutch. Ray attacked Veer, though, and said, enough of this shit. Enough of my son being beaten down by this fucking savage animal. So Ray caused a disqualification, and the referee DQ'd Dominic Mysterio. Uh, Graves said he respects that Ray was standing up for Veer and put an end to the savage punishment that he was about to deliver to his son. Ray then gave Veer a 619, and apparently we have this feud continuing, and I don't really think that Veer is getting over with the majority of the audiences that he's been in front of. And I think WWE has kind of made it seem like he is just an afterthought. There's nothing really special about him. He came off very generic and and cringe, and they didn't really put him out there in a natural role, in a natural setting. They went over the top with it, and I think people lost interest. I think people lost interest in Veer. And now you're starting to see it, hear it, and feel it. And I feel sorry for him because he's got a fantastic look. Veer has a great look. But WWE did him absolutely no favors whatsoever. Judgment Day. We talked about Judgment Day. We talked about Edge and Rhea Ripley and Damian Priest. I don't want to go over it again because we talked about it in the beginning of the show. Uh, Edge took the microphone, and I'll go over what they said here, and we'll get into the next segment. But Edge took the microphone after Rhea Ripley and Damian Priest said some uh, said something out there. Rhea Ripley still sounds like she's reading from a fucking teleprompter. I, I don't I don't understand how she's alongside Edge and still fails to cut a decent promo. I I'll never understand it. I'll never get it. So Edge takes the microphone, shows everybody how to cut a fucking promo. He says he's been doing this for 30 years, so you can all close your mouth, shut your mouths. He says they did precisely what they said they were going to do. He says he was proud of Ripley and Damian Priest. He said they weren't the only ones listening to their message. He said someone else was listening. And then he introduced their newest member, Finn Balor, came out. Finn Balor came out, and he walks down the aisle. He gets in the ring, and Balor said... The look Edge saw in his eyes last night was one of clarity. He said joining the Judgment Day wasn't a choice. It was a calling. He says he's tired of pretending to be someone he's not. Finally, I am seeing clearly, which obviously is the main line in Alter Bridge's Metalingus, which is Edge's old babyface theme music, which we may end up hearing Again, sooner rather than later. He said he saw Ripley and Priest fight with more conviction than ever before. He says he should have been an angry uh, individual and a furious one at that, but he wasn't. He wasn't. He says he was impressed and in awe, so he reached out to them after the show. He said it turned out that they have a lot more in common than they realize. Priest said Edge is one of the greatest competitors of all time which is why it was an easy decision to follow Edge into the darkness. Priest says they are ready to shed the last bit of limitations holding them back. 
he turned to priest, or he turned to Edge, rather, did priest, and he said to Edge, you are the limitations that are holding us back. Edge is like, excuse me? He then clotheslined Edge. Balor, Ripley, and Priest stomped away at Edge. And this was the biggest betrayal of the entire night. Priest chokeslammed Edge. Balor then landed a coup de grace onto Edge's torso. Edge rolled out of the ring. He started to fight back, but not much. He was overwhelmed, and Priest gave him a razor's edge onto the announce desk. Back in the ring, Balor took a bar off of the steel chair and started choking Edge in the mouth with it, pulling back on it while delivering an STF. Priest X Balor to release the grip. He put Edge on top of a steel chair and then delivered a concerto to Edge, seemingly writing him off of television. I'll go over briefly what I said in the beginning. Two things. Number one, it wasn't getting over as Edge as the heel leader. It's not going to get over with Balor as the heel leader either. So Judgment Day may as well be fucking dead to rights in a couple of weeks with Balor leading the charge. Balor is not Edge. So right then and there, it's not going to go anywhere. Number two, this is unfortunate because what I do think the majority of the reason why they broke up is is because Cody was injured and Cody is now off of television. Cody was their biggest babyface, which afforded them the opportunity to have Edge as a heel But now with Cody not being there and John Cena only coming back for a few weeks, Edge is probably going to go right back to being a babyface and Edge is going to resume his babyface role because they have nobody. And the injury to Cody is probably what I think is the reason why Edge is now being kicked out of Judgment Day. And I honestly think, you know, it is a very unfortunate circumstance because I honestly think at the end of all of this, Rhea Ripley and Damian Priest are going to suffer because of it. Because Balor is not Edge. And I don't know where they're going to go without Edge or somebody like Edge leading them. I love Edge's heel work. Um, it's not as great as the rated R superstar work that he did, but it was something different. And uh, I, I do believe that he was having fun doing it. But at the end of it all, no matter how great Edge is as a heel... He's just as great as a babyface, so I don't really care which version of Edge we get. As long as he's on my television, that's all I care about. But the fact that he came up with all of these ideas and changed his theme music and cut his hair and changed his appearance, only for all of this to change because of reasons that may be out of his control, it's a very unfortunate circumstance here for Edge. But this was not in the plans. Before Cody got hurt, this was definitely not in the plans. I don't think Balor was set to join the group. I think it was maybe somebody else. But I don't know. I hope that they know what they're doing. I hope they have a fucking idea. I hope they have a plan here. You know, with Balor being now the leader of Judgment Day, um, are they going to be able to tell a story? Is it going to be a long-term thing? Are they going to have a dominant dominant stake on Monday Night Raw? I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of great talent in this group, but I can't see them going anywhere with Balor as their leader and Edge being out of the group. I just don't see how it's going to work. So we'll see what happens. Omos and Cedric Alexander. Cedric Alexander, man. Poor Cedric Alexander. This match barely lay. If you blink, this match was over. Seriously. Seriously, this match was 15 seconds. Well, I don't know what you could do in 15. I can't even fucking take a piss in 15 seconds. 
Cedric Alexander was buried in 15 seconds. Head vice slam for a quick I don't even know why this was on the show. So, obviously, after this match was over, we, we didn't even get Omos walking out of the, the, the ring and down the aisle. Dolph Ziggler and Bobby Roode's theme music hit. The Dirty Dogs are being interviewed by Kevin Patrick in what they are now calling the Oakland position, or Corey Graves called it the Oakland position. That little stage by the entrance ramp that they conduct the interviews on. I'm glad that they've kept it. It's not an every week thing, but, you know, beggars can't be choosers. I am glad that they did not scrap the concept altogether. What is old is new again, and what is old seemingly works in the new WWE. So... MVP rushes to the stage with Omas, and he complained that Ziggler and Rude were taking spotlights off of Omas. He called them both clowns. Ziggler then superkicked MVP off the stage. Ziggler and Rude ran to the back and danced away from Omas and MVP. So are we getting a Dirty Dogs versus Omas and MVP? Now the Dirty Dogs are another tag team that are seemingly back on WWE television, boring as they may be. But are we really getting a Dirty Dogs versus Omos and MVP feud? This was completely out of left field. I, uh, somebody must have been on fucking cocaine when they wrote this show because none of this really mattered and none of this made any sense. None of it is interesting whatsoever. I don't know what... Dolph Ziggler, to me, great in-ring performer. Dolph Ziggler may be one of the best in-ring performers that they have up and down that fucking roster. But my God, man, with the years and years and years that they buried this man, he is so fucking boring to a point where I say that he's one of the best that they got, but I can't help but fucking look away and find something else to do that is more interesting than watch Dolph Ziggler. And Bobby Roode, man, what a waste of a fucking gimmick. What a waste of a fucking talent is Bobby Roode. You are so desperately looking for singles acts on the main roster. Why you don't give us Bobby Roode as the glorious Bobby Roode with the theme music, with the robe, going after the secondary title as a babyface? I mean, I don't get it. I don't understand it. You could put him on SmackDown and have him go after Ricochet and the IC title. You can put him on fucking Monday Night Raw and make him a, a, a babyface and have him go after the United States Championship in Austin Theory. Why? WWE should absolutely take Bobby Roode and give us back the glorious Bobby Roode. And how many times do I need to tell you, man? We went from Bobby Lashley and Omos to Omos and Dolph Ziggler. Said this last night. I'm going to say it again, man. Omos has already hit his ceiling, and he hasn't even done anything of notes or anything worthwhile on WWE television. Meanwhile, you got fucking clowns like Booker T who claim that Omos is the future of the business. He is going to be future endeavored. Never mind future of the fucking business. Guy is awful. Get him off of television. Give me glorious Bobby Roode in return. Ezekiel versus Otis. This went two minutes. Some fucking show we got here, man. Two minutes here. 15 seconds there. Three minutes over here. Three-hour show, man. We got fucking two-minute matches. My God. Ezekiel wins in two minutes. Ezekiel chopped away at Otis. Closed line to Otis. Otis didn't move. He then lifted Ezekiel. Ezekiel slipped free, landed the high knee, and then a crucifix pin for the one, two, three. Ezekiel wins. 
So Ezekiel gets a win after losing to Kevin Owens at Hell in a Cell. Afterwards, Ezekiel takes the microphone and cuts a promo, says, last night at Hell in a Cell was the most important match of his career. And he fell short. Maybe I was a little too zeked up, he said. He said he learned from his brother Elias that everyone deserves a second chance. He challenged Owens to give him a rematch next week on Monday Night Raw. Kevin Owens walked out, microphone in hand. Owens asked why he'd give Ezekiel a rematch since he's already beaten him. Kevin Owens seemingly is a fucking uh, genius at this point. Could not have said it any better than Kevin Owens. He says he's in such a good mood, though. I'm feeling generous, he says. I'll grant you a rematch. So we walked past Otis and Gable, and he said, boys, I got this one. He said Ezekiel just has to admit to the world right now that he is indeed Elias in order to get the rematch that he wants. So Ezekiel looked around, and Ezekiel said, okay, Kevin, you got me. I admit it. Owen said, no, 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 no. You admit what? You need to look into my face, and you need to admit to everybody and say it that you are Elias. So he says, I admit my name is Elias. Kevin Owens over the top, hilarious, right? Is Kevin Owens so great as Kevin Owens? He is celebrating. I knew it. I knew it. You're the liar. I'm not the liar. Everybody thought I was crazy, and I'm not crazy. I was proved right. So Owens says, all right, all right, you got your rematch, and I'll happily beat you again next week. Ezekiel started laughing, and Ezekiel says, I just took a page out of the KO playbook. Kevin Owens is like, uh, excuse me, what? Owens asked what he was talking about, and Ezekiel said, Kevin, I lied. I am Ezekiel. Owens charged at him. Ezekiel gave him a high knee. Owens went down, rolled out of the ring. Otis and Gable ran into the ring. Ezekiel leapt to the floor. And he said, pretty much, Corey Graves said that Ezekiel stole uh, that page out of KO's playbook. He said, if KO is a liar, then Ezekiel is a thief. They, they should have just stopped at, yes, Kevin, I admit, I'm a liar. I am really a liar. That's what they should have done. They should have automatically on this night turned Ezekiel into Elias and have this really be Elias's coming out party. But no, they want to go back and continue to fucking give us this storyline where, like I said on Sunday night during the Hell in a Cell post show, there is no ending in sight to this. There is legitimately no end in sight for this storyline. None whatsoever. None at all. But WWE seemingly thinks that they can get more and more and more out of this terrible storyline. God bless Kevin Owens, man. God bless Kevin Owens. He is trying so hard to get this shit over and trying so hard to be funny, which he is, and entertaining, which he is. But nobody, and I mean nobody, gives a shit about Elias or Ezekiel. Just end it and cut your losses. I would not be shocked if I see Ezekiel on the budget cut list when Nick Khan sends that out in the weeks to come. Bianca Belair made her ring entrance. And we got a main event match with Bianca Belair at ringside watching Rhea Ripley, Doe Drop, Liv Morgan, and Alexa Bliss battle it out in a fatal four-way for the number one contendership for the Raw Women's Championship. So we got Rhea Ripley winning this match. 
And this was decent. It wasn't terrible by any means. Doe Drop and Rhea Ripley cleared the ring. And they faced off. Ripley caught Doe Drop with a super kick. Doe Drop fought back with an elbow. Morgan and Bliss pulled her out of the ring. Ripley caught Morgan with a clothesline back in the ring. Ripley beat down Alexa Bliss, sent her into the corner. Ripley was in uh, control. And Bliss at ringside jumped off the apron, but Rhea Ripley caught her. Morgan then drop-kicked Bliss and Ripley. Doe Drop then wiped out Morgan. We go to commercial break. We're back from break, and Doe Drop is in control with a chin lock on Bl- a chin lock in a fatal four-way match. Go figure. She followed up by a splash in the corner. Morgan jumped back in, took out Ripley with a drop kick. Morgan caught Ripley with a hurricanrana, followed up. Doe Drop hit a big splash on Bliss for a near fall. She then hit a sit-out powerbomb on Liv for another near fall. Doe Drop and Ripley fought on the top rope. Morgan and Bliss gave Doe Drop a double powerbomb as Doe Drop suplexed Rhea Ripley. So the Tower of Doom spot, typical in WWE multi-person matches. Morgan and Bliss traded near falls back and forth, rolling around over and over and over and over again. Bliss went for Twisted Bliss eventually, but Morgan got the knees up. Doe Drop tossed Bliss out of the ring. Morgan went for Oblivion on Doe Drop. Yeah, good luck with that. Nikki Ash interfered. Doe Drop hit the Michinoku driver on Liv Morgan. She goes for a cover, gets in your fall. Ripley broke that up. Ripley then hit the Riptide on Doe Drop for the one, two, three. How she managed to get Doe Drop up, I don't know. But Rhea Ripley is uh, it's pretty fucking strong, man. She got Doe Drop up in the one, two, three with the Riptide. So Ripley takes on Bianca Belair at Money in the Bank. Balor and Damian Priest came out with the Edge version of the other side by Alter Bridge. Don't know why. That was a little weird that they came out to Edge's version of the Judgment Day theme song. So Rhea Ripley standing there with Priest and Finn Balor as she's getting a Raw Women's Championship match at Money in the Bank. I really can't get behind this whatsoever because I just have a really sneaking suspicion that this is nothing more than a bridge to Bianca Belair and Becky Lynch at SummerSlam in the big stadium for the big stadium showdown for the Raw Women's Championship. Now, WWE could prove us all wrong, and we could get Rhea Ripley getting another rematch at SummerSlam while Becky Lynch is given a Trish Stratus or a major name to work with, maybe returning Bailey. Maybe we get Asuka in a grudge match. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe Becky Lynch wins Money in the Bank. Seemingly, that's what it's being set up for, right? I hope not. I think that would be a waste of a fucking Money in the Bank contract, but WWE typically loves to waste the Money in the Bank contract. Rhea Ripley and Bianca Belair, man, this is a match that I could really get behind, but I can't really get invested right now because of the hesitation I feel towards WWE and Becky Lynch, man. You know, they don't really, they don't really focus on anybody else but the top-tier women, and this match didn't even make sense. If you really wanted to make sense of this, Alexa Bliss should be pissed because she's won matches on Monday night and she's beat all these women on Monday night. So why is she in there challenging all these other women for an opportunity that should definitely be hers to challenge for in anything but a fatal four-way? Why didn't you just do Alexa Bliss versus Liv Morgan for the number one contender? Shabria Ripley hasn't done shit. As far as a singles competitor goes, she's been mixing it up with AJ and Finn Balor with Judgment Day for the last several weeks. And Doe Drop hasn't removed herself from catering. And Nikki Ash is flying around backstage somewhere pretending to be a fucking comic book geek. 
Why didn't we do I don't I don't believe I'm advocating for Alexa Bliss. I'm sticking up for Alexa Bliss, people. I'm sticking up for Alexa Bliss. If anybody deserves a fucking number one contendership just based on the fucking momentum she's had and the wins that she's got for herself, it's Alexa Bliss. And Liv Morgan, she's won more matches than both Rhea Ripley and Toe Drop on Monday night. So why aren't we doing Rhea Ripley and Doe Drop out of the match? And why aren't we doing Alexa Bliss and Liv Morgan battling it out for the number one contendership? Illogical, stupid, lame, no thought, no effort booking. That's why. Until I see WWE move Becky Lynch away from the Raw Women's Championship, I will never be content with what they do at the top of the card for the Women's Championship. Bianca Belair and Rhea Ripley could be a showdown that is very good. And there is a little history there. Dating back to their days in NXT, the couple of spots that they've had in the Royal Rumble. When Bianca Belair won the Royal Rumble last year, she was in there with Rhea Ripley in the final two. So you could definitely make a call back to that. So we'll see what happens. And Judgment Day, you know, Judgment Day is uh, Damian Priest and Finn Balor. It looks like Bianca Belair is going to have an opportunity to get some backup here. So I would love to see Bianca get the Street Profits involved and have them go after Judgment Day to give Bianca and serve Bianca some backup while she takes care of Rhea Ripley. So that's also something that we could potentially be looking out for in this Bianca versus Rhea Ripley feud for the Raw Women's Championship. It was a newsworthy Monday Night Raw. That doesn't make it a good Monday Night Raw. It was a newsworthy Monday Night Raw, but an overall terrible Monday Night Raw just like it usually is on Monday night. Newsworthy doesn't make it good. So if you're listening to all these other fucking geeks in the community and all these other check marks that want to claim it was a good show, no, it wasn't. It was anything but a good show. Newsworthy doesn't necessarily mean good. Give me a break. Thank you guys so very much for joining me on this Monday. Now, man, we had 3,000 large in the venue. On this Monday night. We're about to go over the Super Chats, man. Get those Super Chats in. Get those Super Chats in. We're going to hang out with our cold beverages in just a little bit. Continue to hit that join button. Become a VIP right here on Off The Scripts. And make sure you guys hit my sponsor up, man. Blue Chew. BlueChew.com. They are today's sponsor. It's that time of the year, guys. The weather is nice. The sun is out. The ladies, they got less and less clothing on every day as the summer goes on, man. That's where Blue Chew comes into play, man. What are you doing? Get out there. Go meet somebody. Start getting all of that together and start getting yourself into the bedroom, man. Blue Chew is certainly something that's going to help you out this summer. Guys, we know confidence can take you far in life. Takes me far on this podcast. I know how fucking good I am, man. I know. And when you feel confident, you are at your best. Especially when it comes time to step up to the plate. That's where Blue Chew comes in, man. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable tablets at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night. So you guys can plan ahead or be ready whenever that opportunity arises. The process is very simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com. Consult with one of their licensed online medical providers. And once you guys are approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. 
It's all done online, too. That's the best part. No doctor's office visits, no awkward conversations, no waiting in line at the pharmacy. And Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA, and they are shipped direct to your door in a very discreet package, man. I always talk about first impressions. But what about lasting impressions, man? You can have, realistically, a great first impression and a great lasting impression with Blue Chew. So make sure you guys sign up, man. BlueChew.com. You guys are going to use the code JD at checkout. All you guys got to do is pay the $5 shipping and handling. That's BlueChew.com. And I want to thank them for once again supporting the podcast right here on Monday night for the Monday Night Raw post show on Off the Script. We got a super chat coming in. $2 super chat by Cal TP. I told you. Cody and Seth feud will go to SummerSlam. No, it won't. Cody's out. Cody is injured. Cody will not be at Money in the Bank, and Cody will not be at SummerSlam. Tony Brown with a 9.99 super chat. What the fuck? Is it a work? Also. Booty meat. That was his comment. What the fuck? Is it a work? Also, booty meat. Yes. We had a lot of booty meat on tonight's show. Tony Brown. Bianca. We had Liv. We had Alexa. We had Rhea. A lot of booty meat. And then he follows up with another 499 Super Chat. Everyone but Doe Drop. Listen, man, some people think Doe Drop has booty meat. Can't take away from those people, man. She may not be your cup of booty meat. She's not my cup of booty meat, but she may be somebody's cup of booty meat. What can I tell you? Michelle Moran with a $2 super chat. Even not at 100%, Cody will screw Seth at Money in the Bank. Will he? Will he? Cody is getting surgery on Thursday that is being reported. I think Cody needs to be at home and recuperate. Give Rollins money in the bank. I would not have a problem with that at all. Joseph Taylor with a $2 super chat. JD, do you like Insane Clown Posse? And if so, your favorite song. Joseph Taylor, do I look like I listen to ICP? I never heard one ICP song in my entire life. So, no. My favorite song is the one I didn't listen to, which is all of them. Moving on with the Super Chats, man. Ricardo Linnell with a 23-month membership, man. Oh, my goodness. Ricardo was one month away from the golden microphone, man. JD, you fucking beast. WWE is disgraceful in how they produce TV, treat their talent and their fans. Good thing we have off the scripts. Shots for all, 30 more days. Ricardo, thank you so much, brother. JP5150 with a $5 super chat. Watching Edge be removed from Judgment Day makes me worried that we won't hear the other side by Alter Bridge anymore. JP, I'm with you, brother. 
as long as Alter Bridge is there, I don't think it would really matter. My usual Casa Dragones, please. Absolutely, man. We got that Casa Dragones on ice. Always for you, JP. Thank you so much, brother. Andrea West. With a $4.99 Super Chat. First off, I just want to say I love your channel, JD. I've been watching you since my sophomore year. Today is my 20th birthday. I appreciate you, man. Andrea. Cheers to you, Andrea. And happy fucking birthday. Everybody in the chat, I need you to give Andrea... Because she's not old enough to drink yet, and we don't promote underage drinking here on the channel. I need everybody to give Andrea birthday cake emojis. Thank you, Andrea, and happy birthday. Johnny Angel with a 199 Super Chat. Thoughts on Linkin Park and Foo Fighters. I hate them both individually. I do not listen to Linkin Park, and I do not listen to the Foo Fighters. Not my type of music. I know Linkin Park is a very popular band. I never found them to be overly interesting whatsoever. Johnny Angel also. Don't listen to Smart Brothers. You see amazing, JD. I don't even know who the fuck those are, man. I don't really even give a shit. Whatever people say about me, I don't care, man. I'm, I had 3,000 fucking people live tonight for a random episode of Monday Night Raw. Does it look like I give a shit? D Bestardo for the $5 Super Chat. Yo, JD, I'm out back at your patio bar. Chilling with Thunder Rosa and the Hardys. Fire pits going. Wait, Charlotte's sneaking in. Should I call security? Yes. No, Charlotte Flair's not allowed in here, man. Get her out. Get her out. Neb with a 199 Super Chat. I want to see Cena versus Wendy Chu for the United States title. No. Ryan Shepard with a Canadian $5 Super Chat. What if we have Cena come back on the 27th of June, cut a promo, and then have a returning Bray Wyatt interrupt payback from WrestleMania 30? That could be. I mean, that could be. I mean, I, I know the obvious in was Cody with their ties in NXT, but we could see that. We could see it. I don't want to rule it out. T-Mac, 034 with a $5 Super Chat. John Cena versus Braun Breaker for the United States Championship could low-key be a WrestleMania 39 match. That would be a good spot for both. Why I brought it to everybody's attention, T-Mac. Gary the New Man with a $5 Super Chat. Are they making Champa do the EC3 mute gimmick now? Uh, Gary, Tommaso Champa will be on the budget cut list before all is said and done. The fact that he's on Monday Night Raw is a fucking crime. I, I, I don't understand it. How they can't use somebody like Tommaso Champa. MGM Ballin'. With a 999 Super Chat, my B for under for misunderstanding the thank you Rollins chance last night. That's what happens when you don't pay attention to anything prior to that match. Rest in peace to hearing the other side by Alter Bridge on TV. 
He can still use it if he wants to. I think it's a great fucking theme song. No worries, MGM. No worries, man. That's what happens. It's tough to uh, understand what's happening sometimes with the crowd chants. Juan Carlos with a 199 Super Chat. Could you see Madcap Moss winning the money in the bank? Yes, I could. I could, but I don't see him winning, and I don't think him winning is a good idea. Money in the bank should be reserved for who you think is going to be the next WWE champion. And Matt Cap is not that. Diego Flores with a $5 super chat. Cody and Seth's segment was great. Hoping Cody wins the Rumble. Stay handsome, my man. You the GOAT. Thank you, Diego. I appreciate you, brother. And Chris with a $4.99 super chat. What's up, JD? Been busy with work? Can I have a peanut butter whiskey on the rocks? Got promoted in my job back in February. Shout out to the OTS family. Congratulations, Chris, on the promotion, man. Continue to work your ass off, man. It's the only way I know how. Work, 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 man. Daryl, I see you, brother. I see you, brother. I get all your emails, man. I apologize for not answering. I'm terrible with emails, man, but... Daryl Sith Negan in the chat, man. One of my mods. He's got some fucking creative mind on him, bro. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. Justin Strippen with a 499 Super Chat. I forgot to ask you yesterday about your thoughts on the new Resident Evil 4 remake footage. It'll be released March 24th, 2023. I can't wait for it, brother. My favorite Resident Evil in the entire series, and I'll be all over it. Quante Owens with a 199 Super Chat. I could see WWE doing Cena versus Lesnar. SummerSlam 14 redo. No. I don't care about Lesnar and anybody on this roster. Uh, I, I, I don't really care for Lesnar coming back at all. I don't, I don't know what value he adds to the show. I don't. We've seen everything from Lesnar, and anything that they do is nothing more than a rehash. Guys, uh, quickly, before I get out of here, uh, I, I saved this part for the end of the show because uh, there was just a lot going on here, but... Um, Something I want to talk about, something that uh, pertains to a member of the OTS family. And uh, one of my mods, you guys know Hulagrim in the chat. You guys know Hulagrim in the chat. Hulagrim is a respected VIP here. He's here every fucking night. He does a fantastic job holding the fort down. And one of the OTS family members, Adam Powell, reached out to Hulagrim and wanted to get my attention on something of a serious note. So I want to read to you what he sent to Hulagrim, and it was meant to come to me. So it's going from Adam to Hulagrim, from Hulagrim to me, okay? He says, hey, Grim, it's Adam Powell, Bay Bay. I've been a fan of OTS for around four years now. Lately, I've had to get a new phone and I could not connect my old Gmail to this phone, so I've had to make a new account on everything, including YouTube. I can't send Super Chats or comment on JD's live streams. I was hoping since you're close to JD and you're a respectable mod in the chat, I was hoping I could get a shout-out tonight on the live stream. Why? It's because my brother passed away this morning after a long battle of Parkinson's slash mental illness, me and my brother were 
close to each other, and I'm still in shock and trying to process this. I've never asked anyone to do this before, but my whole family loves OTS. Even the family members that are not even wrestling fans, they still enjoy the way JD conducts business. I don't know if this can be done. I don't know if you can talk to JD, but it would really mean a lot to me and my family to just do a shout-out on tonight's live stream. I think my family would really love the acknowledgement. I don't know what else to say. If I was able to send a super chat and tell JD myself, I would, but you're the coolest mod in the chat, and Otis always holds it down. So if there's any way that you guys can do this for me, it was very much. Uh, it would be very much appreciated. I'm an OTS fan for life. Nothing will ever change. That uh, nothing will ever change. That rest in peace to my brother, the person that actually showed me professional wrestling. I'll watch my first wrestling pay per view, 1999's Royal Rumble, with my brother, and he isn't here anymore. To joke with about the shitty creative we get on on a weekly basis. So I'll appreciate it. And my family will too, if we can get a shout out tonight. Uh, if not, it is okay. There's no big deal. I'm just thinking about my family. I think they were, would really enjoy JD and the OTS family sending their condolences. Uh, and then he says, thank you, Grim. So I want to make sure you guys, um, I want to make sure you guys in the chat uh, show Adam and his family the uh, proper appreciation. And I want to see everybody just throw up those prayer emojis and show nothing but love and support for Adam and what he's going through right now. I, I, I don't know what I would do without my brothers. And I feel sorry. And I wish I could do something for him. Um, I wish I, I wish I could, you know, get YouTube to work for, for him to, to chat with us. I, I feel bad that he had to go through Hooligram. But, Adam, you know, we're all here for you, man. You know, if I could say anything, and I, I, I'm, you know, I'm a man of many words, and I don't, really, I don't really have a lot to say when people, you know, come to me with uh, these real-life problems. But as far as what I could tell you, man... Um, the fact that you guys find solace in the podcast, the fact that you guys find some escapism in the podcast, um, it means more to me than any subscribe, any any like, any super chat, anything. Because that's what I'm here for. If I wasn't such a passionate pro wrestling fan, I, I, I would not be here. I owe you guys my success. Everybody in this chat, everybody every week, man. I, I, I owe you guys my success. Without you, I'm nothing. So it's the least that I can do for anybody that's going through that shit. So I appreciate all you guys. And, um, you know, I usually end with pilot. I usually end with, uh, you know, the whole sign off and getting into the Mustang. Uh, we're not going to do that tonight because of, the beautiful message that Adam sent Hooligrim and uh, the message that he wanted to have right on the podcast. So I'm just going to end with uh, the venue and I'm going to end with no music, man. We're going to ride off in, uh, in just a little bit of silence for Adam, Adam Powell and his brother. Thank you guys very much for all of your support on tonight's show. Adam, we love you, brother. Everything's going to be all right, man. And we will be here 
to support you every step of the way. Thank you guys very much, and I'll see you tomorrow night with probably some more WWE 2K22. If I feel up to it, if not, you guys can expect me and Jesse live on Wednesday for what's going to be a big, big dynamite on Wednesday night. I'll talk to you guys later.